you know, we've definitely questioned where we were actually at when we made this album a couple of times during, you know, during the, um, during the um, rehearsals. But it's, it's very interesting. Uh, there's this new venue asked us to, you know, open, open it um, in Manchester and we thought we'd do something special. And that was, that was the idea. Where were you at when you recorded the record? We recorded actually in Rockfield, in Rockfield Studios in um, in Wales, and um, that's sort of the um, physical answer. But I assume when you said where you were at when you were making it, I think we were. I think we were like out of songs. We we only had two songs uh, when we went into the studio, and we had to write lots of it in six weeks in in a studio while recording. It it was great that we had Flood um, to help to help guide us is uh, a brilliant producer but i think um you know we just kept putting out loads of vps with all our songs on and thinking that that was the way to go but um i think saving up a few for an actual album is good as well especially if you put an album out 30 years later it was that still a relatively unique experience yeah i mean some of the songs are really fantastic because of that and then there's a couple of uh, songs where we think, why did we do this chord change? This chord sequence is, is insane. <laughs> I'm guessing that that's probably the case with just music in general. When you kind of go back and and nitpick it, that there's always yeah, there's always maybe decisions that in like in the current context that you would do differently. Yeah, exactly, uh, but you know that's life, isn't it? You know, and um, and um, our life in Rockfield recording between seventh and eleventh was just. Just six years of uh, panicking and, and trying to put things together. Do you find that generally when it comes time to write, I mean, I don't know if you tend to write all in sort of large chunks in specific periods of time, but is there a sense in which kind of having that external pressure is actually a positive? Well, it can be. Um, I think I think we're the kind of band who work quite well with our backs to the wall. You know, um, we come out we come out fighting. Definitely. You are actually starting a proper tour tomorrow, but that's a solo tour? No, what I'm doing tomorrow is um, I'm doing a, a tour of record shops and I'm, I'm doing like, um, you know, kind of interviews, on stage interviews, uh, you know, with friends of mine and, 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 and in front of an audience and telling them about my album, Typical Music, which is out tomorrow. And uh, I'm very excited about it. Want to tell the world about it. It's a 22-track blockbuster. And um, and uh, and so far, people have kind of responded pretty well to it. You know, I, I found that it really runs the gamut when you talk to musicians and ask them questions about, you know, their music making and the process. A lot of them, for and I think very valid reasons, don't necessarily like to get into it. But as somebody who has like been effectively running this very popular online series that kind of requires the musicians to go into that depth, like you feel like to a certain extent, you have to sort of put yourself out there too. Yeah. So, I mean, I was doing the listening party in the evenings and then writing my album in the daytime, which was kind of, you know, it's just a thrilling experience of, you know, just, I always find that if you've got a couple of things on the go, then, um, you know, it kind of one sort of inspires the other, but I didn't, you know, I wasn't like consciously doing it. It was just an exciting thing to be doing. I guess I mean sort of from the standpoint of actually once the album is finished and obviously we're talking and as you said, you're going out there and essentially doing a tour of these these kinds of conversations. Yeah, um, yeah. 
Have you always been comfortable really diving deep into your own work? I don't mind it. I mean, I, I mean, I, the answers that I'll give, are possibly, um, you know, kind of like, you, you know, probably sort of swerve around the truth a little bit and sort of like maybe, maybe keep it mysterious, which is, which is always nice. But I mean, yeah, I don't mind talking about my songs at all. I mean, you know, they, I put quite a lot of care into the actual writing just on the acoustic guitar. And I thought that the more kind of like skill that I put into that, the more enjoyment Daniel O'Sullivan and Thaipo Sandra would get in, um, in, in the arrangement, by, by with doing the arrangements on, on um, such sort of like, um, you know, hopefully thought out work. Um, I, I gave this, them something to put, get their teeth into. And um, yeah, so yeah, I'll talk about any of it. This idea of mystery as it pertains to the process is something that I've been thinking about a lot recently. Um, as far as the difference between being a music consumer now, you know, versus like the nineties or before that there was, you know, there was often an expectation of, of mystery and mystique. That was, that was a, a big part of the appeal, but it's, it's almost difficult in 2022 to, to present an air of mystery around music. That's a good point. I think I remember the charlatans, we put out three singles um, and, and, um, all the images were sort of kind of murky pictures, you know, it wasn't revealing anything. And we, we kind of had that as a plan in a way to, you know, so no one would know who we really were. And, um, but then, you know, that plan kind of um, got crushed pretty quickly because our second single was such a big hit that, you know, everyone wanted band photographs. But um, that air of mystery is beautiful i think in 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 music and and um and i think that if you try to explain lyrics and things like that i think an era of mystery again is 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 helpful i think to to create to create you know a sense of a sense of what you're trying to get across i mean in a very real sense the band was almost blindsided by that early success well yes we were not expecting it no not that quickly anyway i mean um, but it's very exciting. You know, we were in our van and we were driving up and down the M6, uh, which is the, um, the central kind of motorway in, in, in England. And, and every time we turned the radio on, our song was on. And, um, and every time we stopped at service stations to get drinks, uh, you know, we'd get mobbed by fans. It was, it was, it was our Beatles, uh, you know, hard day's night period. I'm always curious. Um, I mean, obviously, you know, you, you had been in bands before that, so it wasn't a, entirely new experience but i'm always curious whether when you reflect back on that period whether having such a success out of the gate was ultimately a a positive or negative i mean it was it was it was both um uh, i'd say hugely positive in the fact that, that that song has you know just been you know, it's just been so helpful um, for us uh, throughout our, our lives, really. And uh, without that song, we wouldn't have been able to do a, a, a few other things. Um, maybe, you know, to dip in and out of um, 
you know, to this genre hop like we've like we've we've done. You know, we always knew that we had this song to sort of like back us up, and 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 it, and it's still kind of like a really popular sort of teenage disco song. <laughs> so it's that. So that in that respect, it was really helpful. Um, but um, you know, people, I suppose, would measure our uh, next music or our. our future success against that song for a while anyway until maybe one to another North Country Boy and How High um, well the album Telling Stories came out that that was kind of like that was bigger really for a while anyway do you end up sort of trying to dissect the success or 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 chase the success of that particular song or album I'm not sure about chasing the success or or dissecting it really um, I think we just um, felt that, uh, I mean, it's still such a rush when we play that song. We're not playing it tonight. Or not at the moment, we're not, but we might. Uh, <laughs> um, we might change our minds later. But there were times, you know, in the early days um, uh, when we would play that song twice a night, <laughs> which is unheard of. And and very and very embarrassing, you know. But uh, but we, we didn't we, we didn't have that many songs. We had nine songs, so um, we we were demand, people demanded encores. We said no, and then they demanded a bit more, and we said okay, we'll do the only one and again. <laughs> Did you space them out, or was it really just back to back? It was just well, it was like you know, just funny, you know. It's just like back to back, really, you know. Uh, we, we, we 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 played, we played about uh, twenty dates on that first tour with well on that second tour with that song and and um and it, yeah it just it just went nuts really and then we played the royal albert hall which was like crazy it shouldn't have been allowed just in terms of the behavior of the bands or well yeah i mean it's like you know all our fans were big smokers and drug takers and they were all hanging out at the royal albert hall you know smoking and drinking and falling over and it was just it was ridiculous yeah i mean you know a band like us shouldn't have been playing the Royal Albert Hall, or that's what we thought, and we enjoyed that. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. I mean, we, we, obviously, obviously, we knew that we were, and it was very, it was amazing. But we just thought, ah, this doesn't happen. So let's just, you know, let's be funny. I think of that Beatles quote, where it was, um, I think, like if you're in the in the balcony, just rattle your jewelry. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. Sorry, the segue, but on the note of substance abuse, I mean, I think oftentimes one of the downsides of having that success really early on and not necessarily know knowing how to navigate it is that it becomes really easy to just completely indulge and get off the rails. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we didn't have anyone to navigate it. I mean, we had a manager who was kind of our friend, but his only experience was working in a record shop. So no one really knew what to do or how to plan things, really. And every plan that was made for us, we would kind of like rebel against it. You know, we, we just thought, oh, no, we're going to do it in a different way. And, you know, and then all of a sudden it just, you know, becomes like a little strained with with, with every with everything. And then, yeah, I suppose like when you're young also, you do indulge a little bit. And, you know, we were always in recording studios that were residential. So we'd have people cooking for us and, you know, cleaning our rooms for us. It was like permanently in a hotel. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, the drug dealer turns up and um, and then, you know, it's like six months later, you, you still haven't finished your album. One of the things that really strikes me, obviously talking to you now and having listened to interviews you've done, you know, you, 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 seem, you seem like a very even-keeled person. But even with that 
being the case, it's it's an extraordinary amount of time to have remained a band. And were there any points, that, you know, especially early on when those pressures were getting to you when it wasn't necessarily clear that you could keep doing this? Well, yeah, I mean, it wasn't really clear that we could keep doing it until I, I think, um, you know, maybe we were into our 30s, you know. Um, we were always, you know, there's a, I mean, I don't know whether you know the story about uh, Rob, our keyboard player, went to jail and, um, you know, me and Mark, the guitarist, were just sitting outside my flat and just thinking, we just want to be in a band. You know, we just want to be in a band. You know, <laughs> our keyboard player's in jail. Uh, we've not written anything for ages. Um, and so, you know, there was always, like, things like that, really. And uh, and then and then we would do things really quickly because we knew that we, the Rob only had four four months, I think, before he was sentenced. So we had to write an album in those four months. And then uh, and then he went to jail. And then when he came out, we toured it. You've done a number of solo records over the years. You've got this one that we were discussing earlier that's coming out tomorrow. I, I have to assume that part of being able to stay together as a band is letting all of the members have their own individual creative pursuits outside of the band. Yeah, that. I mean, that's... I mean, that's kind of true, although only I really do that. Um, the uh, interesting thing is, though, is that as a band, we always write better when the five of us are in the same room together, or at the moment there's four of, there's four of us. But, you know, any one person who brings in a song, it's, it's, it's usually harder to get going than it is if we're just all sitting there looking at each other, sort of sparking off each other. And I think that's a very interesting thing. Just the idea of the chemistry has has remained, Um, even though there's been different members of the band, obviously both through uh, death, um, um, but we've managed to keep the chemistry alive. How difficult of a learning curve was it when you started to record that, or I guess started to write for that first solo album and and for the first time in a long time didn't have that same dynamic around you to help boost you up um well the first solo album i did was called i believe i kind of i was living in los angeles and we the charlatans had, had made an album called wonderland which was recorded you know in um on wonderland avenue um laurel canyon um We toured that, and I loved the world that we'd created, but everyone else wanted to move on, and I just thought, well, I want to stay at home in Los Angeles, enjoy the sunshine, walk to work every day, which is what I did um, to um, a walk from uh, Franklin and Cahuenga to to La Brea, and um, just recorded every day with a friend of mine, and sort of ate pizza and drank beer at the same time every day. It was kind of just an amazing thing to actually be working and living at, living at home, which was in Los Angeles. And and I I think I kept up that world a little bit. So I felt really good. I felt like I felt pretty safe, you know, um, and, and, and people really responded well to that album. There's a clear sense in which the circumstances surrounding that record were almost polar opposite from the second 
Charlatan's record that we discussed before. And in the same way that that record may have benefited from some of those pressures to get something out in time, the first solo record benefited from, I guess, a lack of pressure, right? And that, I mean, obviously it was, it was a solo record. So maybe the, maybe the stakes were different, but also it was just a couple of guys screwing around playing music. It was definitely different. I mean, the pressure was definitely off, but, um, but I wanted to make a record that, you know, I felt, I mean, I definitely said it represented me um, at that time and I really believe it did. It's hard to say how well I think it represented me now, you know, uh, looking back at it. But I think it felt like I was still searching for that magic that Grant Parsons had or, or um, you know, l- looking for guidance from Brian Wilson's um, uh you know, mind, uh, and, um, you know, and, and, and Sly Stone was definitely in there too, you know? So I just, that's what I'm searching for, really sparks of energy from, from, from the past and the present and, you know, culture and just, just, just want to devour it all really. And I was happy in LA because, you know, that's, I mean, who wouldn't be, you know, Rural Canyon in the sixties and seventies was was an extremely yeah. rich place for yes. you know, creating just like probably some of the best music ever. But Yeah, agreed. I'm curious and I I don't know if like this is something that, that's occurred to you, but it those three names in particular, I mean you, you mentioned three people for whom it really it didn't end well, or at least uh, there were a lot of struggles for them following that really um sure. productive period. Sure. I mean, for the longest time you know i mean um they were just my heroes uh i know it didn't end well for graham um and it's obviously sly and sly and brian about their ups and downs you know but i mean they made magic they made magic music and they were they were searching for they were searching for the the, the perfect you know the perfect chord the brian wilson story in particular is really interesting that i yeah yeah i, I love brian that, that that last film that they made um uh, was it a uh, long promised road i think yeah it's so beautiful so beautiful he comes across amazing i think he's an interesting case as much as i know about sly you know i think that a lot of it was just some him just kind of dealing with a lot of maybe unaddressed mental health issues uh and then again a lot of the people you hear from that period Graham included substance abuse that ended up taking them down in the end. But Brian Wilson is such, he's such an interesting example in this context in that I don't know how apocryphal the stories are, but if you believe the stories, like he was really driven mad, as you say, by the pursuit of the perfect song. Yeah, I think he was. Um, And maybe not driven mad by the pursuit, but the kind of the, the walls that he had to climb over to get it, you know, like, I mean, Band politics, I would, I would suggest, could be a, a force of that. You can say Mike's name; it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, just the, just the, just, just the uh, absolute obstacle of, um, of someone coming up with something like vegetables, or you know, um, good vibrations, or something, and someone saying, well, "I'm not sure about that." <laughs> it's like shit. <laughs> and that does actually that speaks well to something that we discussed before about this idea of chasing success i mean that ultimately was what that's what he was up against he was up against a band with a very you know obviously you know even those early beach boys singles are again some of the best songs ever but 
course. He kind of had been painted into a corner by members of the bands who wanted to just keep writing about, you know, surfing in Woody's all day. Yeah, 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 that's true. And, you know, Brian wanted to keep up with Macca and, and, and John, you know, and, and, and beat them. And, and, that, and that's healthy, I think. I think it's one of those cases where everybody, I guess, you know, again, there are limits, but that everybody benefited from what was, I think, mutually agreed on as being kind of a, a bit of a competition and attempt for both sides to top one another. Yes, exactly. I think that's really fun. I mean, because because obviously, you know, you, you're getting given something to kind of try and improve upon, and then you pass the baton and they do the same back. It's just like, that just sounds like amazing. You know, it's like, hopefully people still do that, you know? Paul is a great example of somebody who, in spite of everything, has managed to... I, I, he seems like a very down-to-earth person. Yeah. I know he did your Twitter listening party project. Yes, he did. It was amazing. What's your read on him as a person, having interacted with him? I just think he's really genuine. I think he's uh, obviously a genius and, and still is enjoying doing what he does. And, um, you know, everybody knows everything about him anyway. But I just, I cheekily uh, tweeted uh, whether he'd do a listening party because, you know, everyone else had come, everyone else had said yes immediately. And, um, you know, the, kind of people who were doing it were just getting kind of bigger and more sort of like, you know, it's kind of stranger every, every day, you know, uh, people who were requesting to do one. So I thought, okay, I, I saw, an, I saw um, a tweet about McCartney three coming out and I just said, uh, if you want to do a listening party, you know, you know where I am, uh, support. And, um, of course he didn't respond, you know, um, not until, like six weeks later, um, with a McCartney thumb up. And after that, after that, it went into kind of like, you know, drama of like, you know, emails, uh, Zooms, um, management and PR and, you know, getting all the ducks in a row. But he came out and he started it. Um, There's images of his studio and, you know, he was, he was there while it was going on, which is incredible because you could expect him to do, get somebody else to do it. But, you know, he was, he was there and, and he could tell and he was, it was just fantastic. Really. I was speaking with Will Chef of the band Ockerville River last week and we were talking a little bit about how difficult it can be to age gracefully in the business that you're all in. And I, I pointed to a while back, I had Nick Lowe on the show and I pointed to him as being maybe the best example of somebody who is aged very gracefully in, in music, but also obviously Paul is a good example of that too. You know, in your own experience of having done this for multiple decades now, is there a, a secret to, to keeping going and, you know, and still managing to age gracefully in the process? I don't really think about it, but I mean, you know, Nick Lowe is a great example. Yeah. I mean, and, and Paul McCartney, obviously, I mean, I just, you know, do my thing and I write and I do TM and I listen to records and I see my friends and hang out with my little lad. And so I don't really think about it. I, I think, I think it's, I think that's more interesting than kind of um, a debauched sort of like staggering uh, out of, out, out of the pub into the recording studio type of 
person, you know, I mean, cause that just, that's not really that. I mean, it's, I do like rock and roll very much, but, uh, but I think it's just a bit weird when you, you know, over 50. I think. It's not just weird though. It's like, th- there's a certain point when your body just won't allow it anymore. Oh, well, my body wouldn't allow it, uh, late thirties, you know, I, 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 it just, it just rejected it. And well, it rejected everything, uh, good in life and just accepted all the bad stuff. Is that where TM entered the process? Entered the picture? Uh, kind of like that was 2008, uh, TM really. Um, and that, that, so, so I kind of, yeah, quit everything, uh, kind of quit everything around about 2006 and then, and then I had a year of kind of like feeling like, um, the inside of an egg without, the, without the yolk, <laughs> like a, an eggshell. What does, what does that mean exactly? I just felt empty for a couple of years because, because all my traits and everything had been picked up during a life of uh, increased debauchery, you know? So I had to start again in a way, um, and kind of like, and just bring in thoughts and, you know, great things from, you know, from a, from a sober point of view, which was at first I was very fragile, you know, for a year or so I was very fragile. Um, even though I was performing, uh, because, you know, I feel different when I'm on stage, you know, because I just feel like, um, there's, there's extra energy from the audience and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, kind of backstage, maybe just quite fragile. And, and, um, but I knew it was going to get better because, you know, each day I was getting nourished with like all the things that I wanted to be nourished by, you know, how beautiful the sunshine was or, you know, how great an apple tasted or just, you know, a kiss from somebody, you know, it's just those types of things, you know, different if you have i guess good genes and your body doesn't give out i mean if you're a reasonably decent person then having a kid is still going to change the math completely yeah well i didn't have a kid until uh 2015 and that was like the most amazing experience and kind of like having a kid and doing tm and being sober and just writing songs. It's such a clear vision, you know, it's such a clear crystal clear thing of what you have to do. And like songwriting is just like such a dream, you know, really. I'm always curious to talk to people about meditation. I meditate myself and I, I would say probably in a, a less structured way. And I find that a lot of people that I talk to have something that they identify as meditation that isn't the kind of the more traditional sitting down and in silence, um, it, you know, it's it's been very helpful to me, and I've really got back into it in a big way during during the pandemic and having dealt with a lot of yeah. Well, it was it was so peaceful in the pandemic, wasn't it? So yes and no, right? For me, it was sort of yes in the sense that obviously, you know, it was more. I'm in New York, and it was more quiet in, in New York than ever before, and a little bit of nature was returning, which was nice, but. Externally, it was quiet but and peaceful, but but internally, it was the complete opposite. That's a good, yeah. I, I get that for sure. So it helped. It helped, though. Yeah, I was dealing with some depression and going through other things, and and I, I think it it helped in a big way for you. What role did it play? And really, I guess, really surviving the last two, two and a half years. Yeah, sure. Meditation helps. I mean, I I feel like I've been doing it for so long now that I, I'm kind of 
in a bit of a meditative state the whole time. Um, uh, but um, the listening parties really, really helped because they, it, um, you know, I had focus. I was doing ten. I was doing ten a day on Saturdays and Sundays. Um, you know, I was doing three or four a night most most weeknights, and I just had so much focus that that you know, COVID flew by. You know, and in the daytime when I wasn't focusing on the listening party, I was writing songs that ended up on typical music, and um, just so. You know, I felt really fortunate to have that. And, you know, meditation played a big part of it, of course, because I kind of like felt in lots of ways that uh, doing a listening party, especially in the very early lockdowns, you know, where people couldn't see other people and it just connected people so, so beautifully, really. Um, some, you know, someone from maybe one of your favorite artists talking you through an album while thousands and thousands of people were listening at the same time. It's like I've meditated in front of 10 people and that's more powerful than doing it on your own. And, and you know, I've, I've done a group of 100 and that's like the most powerful thing I've experienced. And it felt like that, which is kind of astonishing an interesting flip side of it that you know i think that you mentioned i can't remember where maybe it was on twitter but you mentioned spandau spandau ballet as a, a you know as a, a group that like maybe you hadn't considered yourself a huge fan of but it's it's also an opportunity to connect with music that maybe you hadn't given enough chance to well yeah i mean i hadn't given it enough of a chance the album but it was gary and his enthusiasm and, and his stories that listening along with that and reading the stories, I was just like, wow, this is like an amazing listening party and therefore it's an amazing album. And that's uh, such a, I think, a new way of, of enjoying a record. It's not the cold light of day. It's something more amplified. Maybe this is obvious. I, um, it's something that, that I hadn't given much thought to, but it, it makes a lot of sense that the listening party and transcendental meditation, which you know, I believe you maybe do twice a day, are... Yeah. On top of sort of the, the the inherent benefits to it, I mean, obviously, the life of a professional musician can often lack structure, and these are these are introducing s- some structure into your life. That's true. That's true. And and you know, I'm writing daily as well. Um, it do, it really does, and 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 I like certainly these days. I like that because if there's nothing going on, then you know, you just ruminate. And uh, the mind wanders, and so, like, I guess sometimes your mind control your mind. I know your father passed early on in the pandemic, and obviously not yeah. as a direct result of, but the, the timing was there. Yeah, I know it's unavoidable that a huge event like that is invariably going to have some impact on the art that you put out into the world. But you know, are you able to really quantify? the results of that in the art you make? Yeah. I mean, certainly my dad dying was um, a part of, you know, um, the reason why I probably wrote so many songs. Um, but there was other things too, you know, um, I was, uh, breaking up with, um, my son's mom life was crazy with the listening parties uh all these things kind of you can't help but allow them into your 
to what you're creating. Um, there's definitely songs on the record like Flamingo um, um, and maybe songs like, you know, there's just elements of of him. He creeps up in my, my, my conscience all the way through the album, really, you know. Um, when I listen to it, I think, oh, that's bad bit about my dad oh there's a bit about my lad oh there's a bit about someone else there's a bit about this and you know and uh, but at the time you're writing it you just write something that makes you feel good uh, or that sounds right you know and and and, and make and makes sense to you I wasn't really thinking about it at the time oh that would be nice to write that for my dad or anything like that it, it just it just kind of seeped through you know and and um like maybe in have memories or something and, and, uh, and just wrote it down. And and then, you know, I'd put, I, three weeks later, I'd look at the words and think, oh, that was going to fit in that. And I didn't think what it was about, but it was probably something that I'd just written down earlier. One thing that really strikes me about the music that you make both solo and as a band, um, you know, you, you said writing something that makes you feel good, but that is, that's really been a, a through line, um, you know, and I, I get the sense that a big part of the reason you do what you do and the way you do it is to try to lift people up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. A big part of that is to, you know, I mean the whole COVID thing and the whole anxiety that people were going through. And then I thought, you know, for the longest time people were really only connecting through, through fear, you know, And, and I just wanted to, present some positivity and some love and, 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 um, and hopefully, you know, create something that was a, a bit of a brighter, brighter picture, you know? Um, yeah. And, and, and it was important to me to make myself feel good. Um, me and Daniel and Thaipo Sandra really tried to sort of, you know, make our control room into a spaceship, you know, that was, kind of going to hover hover over the world and it would be a place that would be filled with joy and love and sort of like, you know, some dogs and, you know, and, uh, and some memories and, you know, some just, just this ace world, you know, um, almost like with our favorite records and, and, and the, and the album would be full of like, it'd be punk and it'd be progressive and it'd be a cartoon music and it would be uh Baccarat and it would be, you know, McCartney-esque and it would have, you know, great sort of like Panda Bear references or, um, you know, uh, Joe Meek, there'd be monochrome surf songs. There'd be, you know, just like, Ball, an amazing ballad, uh, you know, just all these, just everything really. Some, some Fugazi meets Beach Boys songs, <laughs> just and 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 it's somehow just kind of like, in my opinion, I think we really made it work. You know, I mean, um, I guess you know, there's not so many reviews that have really come in yet, but I mean, the ones that have have been really positive. Um, I mean, not that reviews sort of like tell you what you've done is okay but it's really nice to um you know it's it's it's, you live in hope don't you that that everyone kind of like can see what you see i read all these stories all these interviews with bands talking about putting a record together and how we 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 wrote we wrote and recorded 50 songs and only 10 of them made it on here and 
you know, I, I obviously I understand the value of editing and the value of 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 vetting and you know m- making sure that I, I guess the cream rises to the top. But I also I really appreciate that you just kind of went for it here. That, that you just really went all <laughs> in on this double album. Yes, I did. I uh, I, I don't have any left. Um, I don't have any songs at all. I mean, I've written a few little things since, but I wanted to give everything. You know, I wanted. I wanted to offload. That was my point. The double album is not a uh, indulgent thing. It was a chance for me to offload, and I wanted to offload brilliant things, not just like oh, I want to offload all my bullshit. You know, I just I wanted it to be incredible. You know, things that stand up, and um, and I wanted to give the world everything that I had. <laughs> 